0: You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. James chapter 2.
1: Verses 24 to 26 specifically mentions Rahab in the context that just to believe in God is not enough. But believing and then showing it by what you do. Just like Rahab, by what she did on behalf of the people of
0: God, the spies specifically, she proved her faith. Many of us have a terrible habit of focusing on the negative rather than the positive when it comes to measuring the faith of others. In some cases, we can even end up focusing on a person's actions before they even came to Christ instead of moving forward. In today's message, Pastor Danny reflects on the faith of Rahab, whose former lifestyle was definitely less than favorable. In our study, we're reminded that no matter what our past might be, we're simply called to live out our faith in both confession and acts of righteousness. Now, here's Pastor Danny in Joshua chapter 2, with part one of his message Cinderella, from harlot to heroine. To
1: Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Little tidbit. When you study the spies that go in the first time, 40 years before, Moses sent how many spies in? Twelve. Those spies come back, they give a report of the land to Moses and the congregation, thousands, maybe millions of people. They say it's everything God said, but, and 10 out of 12 spies kept a whole generation for 40 years from the land of promise wandering in the wilderness. So Joshua, he learns from his his pastor, Moses. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, And stayed there. Pause again, because don't be surprised that you find a prostitute here in Jericho. All you got to do is go back to Leviticus chapter 18. And you'll be very thankful that I'm not going to read Leviticus chapter 18, because it's more than R-rated. But I'll just give you a sample. Verse 6, no one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Then it goes on, listing God's forbiddance of all sexual sin, but the ones listed here are absolutely, we wouldn't even think about it. So perverse. And then you get down to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 27, and here's what it says. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. So don't be surprised that we open in Joshua chapter 2, as they enter the promised land, the first person they come to is a prostitute. Thinking, or verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have... Come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they've come to spy out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. That's a lie. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. And I don't know which way they went.
0: That's a lie.
1: Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given. Now the Lord is Jehovah. That's who she's saying. That's not her God. That's not the people of Jericho. That's not their God. They serve many gods. I know Jehovah has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. That was 40 years before. That's how long these guys have been hearing about this God of Israel. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Sihon and Og were giants, warriors. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. My nieces, my nephews. And that you will save us from death. And if you haven't figured it out, you need to be saved in this life from death. And if you're not ready to die, you need to hear these words. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. But the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now that's interesting because if you know anything about the conquest of Jericho, Israelites are going to come in, cross the Jordan. They're going to march around Jericho seven days. Seven day. they're going to march around it seven times. And after the seventh time, they blow their trumpets and shout, And the walls are going to crumble, except for one part. Rahab's house was on the city wall. I thought of Psalm 91, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked, if you make the Most High your dwelling even the Lord who is my refuge. So she led them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The man said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you've tied this scarlet cord in the window from through which we let you let us down, and unless you have brought your father, mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. So the scarlet cord essential it's a red cord. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who's in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we're doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away. They departed. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hill, stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road, returned, without finding them. And then the two men started back. They went down uh, out of the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. It wasn't a public one. They just go to Joshua, learning from Moses' mistake. And they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. It's a fascinating story. Jericho is the oldest known city we know of the Bible in the Bible. 10,000 plus years. And the first person they meet these spies in the oldest city is practicing what some have suggested is the oldest occupation. She's a prostitute. Some say she was simply an innkeeper. Those are ignorant people. They don't know the Bible. Cuz the word zana means harlot. To act as a harlot, to commit adultery, and you find that word consistently means the same thing throughout the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament. James two twenty five refers to Rahab, and the New Testament Greek word you'll get this one is the word porné. I give you three guesses, and the first two do, don't count. What word we get from that? She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. In a pagan culture, even more pagan than the one you and I live in. I love what one person writes about Rahab. God's agents, the spies, were saved by a madam. The proprietress of a a bordello, a woman who sold her body for money, who submitted to any man who crossed her doorway if he had the cash. My first title for the message... Came fairly easily. From harlot to heroin, not the drug, with an E. In the Oxford Dictionary, it means a woman admired for courage, outstanding achievements. In the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary, it's a female hero. She's listed. In Hebrews chapter 11, a list of saints that have gone before us. Some have called it the hall of faith. And she's there. She's a heroine. She's a hero. And I want to share with you five characteristics about her faith. The first one is very simple. It's saving faith. James chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, specifically mentions Rahab in the context that just to believe in God is not enough, but believing and then showing it by what you do, just like Rahab by what she did on behalf of the people of God, the spies specifically, she proved her faith that it was saving faith. Some people get stuck with Rahab and take issue with the fact that she lied. Yes, she lied. That she deceived. Yes, she deceived. Have you looked in the mirror recently if you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Did you put your faith in Christ once you came to the knowledge of the truth and all of a sudden... You were completely sanctified? Didn't happen. Go look in the mirror. John Newton, you say, I don't know that name. Well, do you know the song Amazing Grace? He wrote it. And for a whole year after John Newton gave his life to Jesus Christ, John Newton, who before giving his life to Christ, was a slave trader, continued, to be a slave trader and then under conviction of the Holy Spirit as his life began to change from the inside out just like ours saving faith she's not perfect but the second thing about her faith it's surprising faith (laughs) surprising Uh, That's surprising. Who would have laid money that Rahab's going to get saved? Who would have laid money Saul of Tarsus was going to get saved? The demoniac that nobody could bind, and he's out living in the tombs. He's cutting himself with things, and he's crying out every day. And yet one day, as he's crying out, he encounters the Savior. So miraculously delivered, people come out from the town, see this guy now dressed and in his right mind sitting there with Jesus. Jesus begins to leave. He comes and he says, let me go with you. And Jesus says, no, no. You go back and you tell your friends and you tell your family all God's done for you. What's fascinating about that story is that was where Jesus also had cast demons into these pigs and the pigs ran down the hill and the pigs drowned and when the people who owned the pigs and the town came out and they saw all their pigs were dead they said leave us because it affected their pocketbook and their wallet But this other guy from the area known as the Decapolis, a pagan Gentile region, he does what Jesus says, goes and begins to tell people, and the next time Jesus comes, he gets a hero's welcome, and everybody's coming to him, wanting them, wanting Jesus to minister to them. The people God uses, first person Jesus revealed himself to in his resurrection, a woman named Mary Magdalene. And when it tells us the story, it's careful to tell us, the gospel writers, Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Now, come on, help me out here. Do you know somebody, maybe family, friend, friend? And they're the last person in the world you thought would become a Christian, and they became a Christian. Anybody got somebody like that in mind? Last person you would think of. And as you're raising your hands, I wonder if I asked that question among your family and friends would say that about you. It's saving faith. It's surprising faith. This is the last person in the world you'd put your money on. But thirdly, It's singular faith. Now, I'm going to admit, I stole this one. I stole this point. From Charles Haddon Spurgeon. But he's with the Lord now. He doesn't mind. Let me read you, as only Spurgeon could say it. Have you ever felt that it's a very hard thing to have a singular faith? It's the easiest thing in the world to believe as everybody else believes. But the difficulty is to believe a thing alone. When no one else thinks as you think. To be the solitary champion of a righteous cause when the enemy musters his thousands to the battle. Now this was the faith of Rahab. She had not one who felt as she did, who could enter into her feelings and realize the value of her faith. She stood alone. Oh, it is a noble thing to be the lonely follower of despised truth. Rahab's faith, sinner as she was, had this glory this crown about its head, that she stood alone, faithful among the faithless found. All of her friends, all of her neighbors, the city she had lived in, the city she had probably grown up in, they all knew about the God of Israel. For 40 years they had heard about Him. And she was the only one with the courage to step out and go against popular opinion, and go against what everybody would think when they knew that she'd come to believe in this God. I put in my notes for for 40 years, these people had heard about the God of Israel, and while they melted in fear, they never moved in faith. But Rahab did. And that brings me to my fourth characteristic that I find in Rahab's faith. It's sanctifying faith. Sanctification is a big word that basically just means you're set apart for a particular purpose. And if you're set apart for God's purpose, then God will mold you, shape you for what He wants for your life. But you have to be willing in the hands of the potter, be willing to let Him shape you. Rahab's faith set her on a whole new path. She would leave the life of prostitution. And the moment that she put her faith in the God of Israel, while everybody else around her is melting in fear, and that was her at one point, melting in fear. Stop and think about that. That means she for. All these years hearing about this God of Israel and now his people are coming their way and they know that this God of Israel has destroyed powerful peoples. And they're in fear for their lives. And as soon as Rahab took a step of faith, all of a sudden this miraculous thing happened inside. She knew now, I'm ready to die. There's no more fear of judgment. She had a peace in her life like she never had before. And can you imagine now leaving that life and becoming a part of the people of Israel and she starts to hear stories about the God of Israel? She hears Bible studies about the God of Israel? She hears about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. She hears about young David as he goes out and faces Goliath. And she's just hanging on it. I mean, if she were a part of our congregation, Calvary Chapel Fellowship, she would say, would you please let me come to the men's breakfast? (laughs) Because she wants to be at everything. She wants to grow. She wants to learn. And learn she did. (laughs) She'd hear about the Ten Commandments. And when she got to the ninth one, that one really... uh, uh, Thou shalt not lie. You can only imagine the way she used to dress. Her job was to attract men. Not to what was on the inside. No. Her job was to attract men based on the cleavage. Her job was to attract men based on the shortness of the skirt, the tightness of the pants. And now she began to learn about purity. And she began to learn that there's something of this God of Israel in his character, that he looks beyond the outward. And he looks and he sees the value in what's inward. And as she would continue to change inwardly, she would change outwardly. And all of a sudden, even though it may not have been popular where she came from now, she's not worried about attracting somebody based on the outward. She's, she's more concerned with what God thinks. And that naturally led to not only living a pure life, but dressing in a pure way. I mean, everything about her life was changing. She's being sanctified. And her sanctification Please, before we go to the last point, don't miss this. Her sanctification had a sanctifying effect on her whole family. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul will write, and he will say to those who are married to a spouse that don't know Jesus, and they, the unbelievers, willing to live with you, then you live with them. How do you know? It's asked. How do you know whether you'll save? And the idea is to be the sanctifying influence that brings your unbelieving spouse to Jesus. How do you know? You wonder what's happening with your kids. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe the issue with my kids has something to do with me? Maybe what I say is not what they see? And that rather than just saying, do what I say... You can say, do what I do. And when you start being able to say, do what I do, and not just what I say, maybe then God can take you as a parent and you can begin to have an effect. Let's be a sanctifying influence on your child for Jesus. And it works whether it's parent to child or child to parent or uncle and aunt to niece and nephew or grandfather and grandmother to grandchildren. Some grandparents go, well, I wish I could go back and change the way I was. Well, you can't, but you can change the way you are.
0: There's much more to learn from the book of Joshua, so be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Living Word. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to explore more of Danny Hodge's messages from the Bible, visit ccfstpete.church and click on sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. If you have any questions for us about what you heard today, please email us. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. We're so privileged to be able to pray for you. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. And if you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, We want to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching Pastor Danny has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people, being made holy by our perfect Creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Join us Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. to worship God, read His Word, and get to know each other better. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. Join us again next time for more from the book of Joshua, right here on The Living Word.